Hello and welcome to Interpreting India. I'm Srinath Raghavan and this is a podcast presented by Carnegie India. Every two weeks, we bring to you voices from India and around the world as we unpack the role of technology, the economy and foreign policy in shaping India's relationship with the world. In the light of the recent coronavirus outbreak, we are now recording and producing episodes of Interpreting India remotely. The 46th President of the United States, Joe Biden, has come into office after a bitter and divisive election. With the pandemic continuing to rage through the country, President Biden is likely to put domestic issues at the top of his crowded agenda. Yet, the mere fact of his ascent to the White House holds enormous implications for America's role in the world. Can the United States simply wind the clock back to the pre-Trump era? Or is business as usual no longer a possibility? Biden's foreign policy team is filled with Obama-era officials. But the challenges they will face are likely to be rather different. In India too, Biden's picks have been scrutinized for possible clues to the contours of his South Asia policy. Some analysts are sanguine about US-India ties under Biden's leadership, while others lament the possible erosion of the close security ties that Trump had enabled. This episode of Interpreting India seeks to understand change and continuity in US policy towards India and South Asia under President Biden. With us today to discuss these is Dr. Tanvi Madan. Tanvi Madan is a senior fellow in the Project on International Order and Strategy in the Foreign Policy Program, as well as director of the India Project at the Brookings Institution in Washington, D.C. Her work explores India's role in the world and its foreign policy, focusing particularly on India's relations with China and the United States. Tanvi has authored a number of publications on India's foreign policy and is frequently cited by the international media. He is the author, most recently, of an excellent book, Hateful Triangle, How China Shaped U.S.-India Relations During the Cold War. Tanvi, Happy New Year. Delighted to have you back with us. Very happy to be on the show and a very happy new year uh, to all your listeners. So Tanvi, it's been quite a few weeks in Washington, D.C. where you are located. And we are recording this podcast literally 24 hours before Joe Biden is going to be sworn in as president. Uh, And quite clearly, this has been a difficult election, very sort of difficult transition. And the pandemic and it's kind of raging through the country continues. By all accounts, it looks like when Biden comes into office, you know, there's going to be a lot on the domestic front, which is going to preoccupy him. At the same time, of course, uh, as president of the United States of America, whether he likes it or not, national issues will press for attention. So I just want to begin by asking you where you think India and South Asia are likely to kind of fit in Joseph Biden's broad foreign policy outlook in terms of priority, importance, significance, salience? So, Srinath, I think, you know, what you, I think it is important to keep in mind what you started with, which is that, as you said, because of both the kind of mishandling of COVID-19 here over the last year, as well as what we saw on January 6th, which reflected the kind of political polarization and divisiveness and, and its translation into political violence, is that domestic issues are going to be a major priority. And the reason that is important for the foreign policy side, it does take a certain amount of bandwidth and capacity, but it will also, I think, shape how the country sees, not just the administration sees priorities, but also sees where the time and energy 
needs to be spent and what the U.S. should be doing abroad or not. In that context, I think, you know, uh, it is going to be as a number of the people who have been nominated for senior jobs have been writing about over the last few years, uh, as Biden himself has been saying, um, which is that this needs to be kind of a foreign policy that will reflect the internationalism that Biden himself believes in while trying to make a foreign policy that is more responsive to Americans' uh, needs and interests. And so I think what you will see is a, a foreign policy also that they've said that they the, one of the primary things that's often pointed out is not a retreat from the world, but kind of working together with allies and partners. So burden sharing, that is, uh, there's going to be not just a desire, but an ask uh, for kind of more burden sharing from other countries. So I think in the, that context, where does India and South Asia fit in? And that needs to be kept in mind. I think uh, I would I would point to kind of three different elements here where India and South Asia might fit. Uh, for one, I will say it is not going to be, you know, peripheral uh, uh, for these reasons. I think one is there's still a fairly immediate question about what the developing situation in Afghanistan. Uh, you know, will the uh, will the uh, president-elect Biden and his team, uh, which are many of whom have worked on that situation before, uh, will they continue with uh, the the policy of both the drawdown, but then you know uh, uh, encouraging a peace kind of process between the Taliban and the government in Kabul? Are they going to continue with that, or are they going to take a different approach? Um, now that regard, these, some of these decisions are going to need to be made quite quickly. So I think it will get some attention for that for that particular reason. I think the second thing is, and it's worth looking at some of the recent statements and documents we're already getting out of the transition team, and it is reflected in some of the prepared testimony that uh, you've seen um, you've seen from some of the nominees for their hearings, where they talk about the rivalry with China and that the U.S. needs to try to outcompete China. And so that strategic rivalry and competition, whatever, there might be a change in approach, but it that is here to stay. And so in that context, I think the region, not just India, but I think the broader South Asia region, whether you call it the Indo-Pacific or not in the maritime domain, that this region is going to be uh, seen from that prism as well. And I think third, you're going to see kind of for many of the issues that uh, President Biden is expected to focus on, whether that's climate change, whether that's global health security, or whether that's regional order or the rules-based order in the Indo-Pacific, uh, or it's turning back to kind of multilateralism, India is a key actor. And so I think you'll see uh, from that prism, uh, India also be a crucial uh, actor as reflected not just the U.S. view, but you see this, for example, in the U.K. inviting India to the G7 as well. So I think for those three reasons, it is not going to be necessarily on the priority list unless, you know, there is a crisis, whether that's at the Sino-Indian border or in Afghanistan uh, or between India and Pakistan. But it will be, I don't think it's going to be a peripheral uh, peripheral uh, area as well. Okay. No, I think those issues lay out the map quite clearly and I'd like to deep into them. But before we do that, you know, one of the things which has been commented upon quite a lot, was partly because we don't have much by way of policy, we only have personnel, is the choice of people 
that uh, Biden has kind of team. And it does seem that a lot of people from the old Obama administration have kind of found their way here. So how much of that background and experience do you think is going to uh, work as far as U.S.-India relations is concerned? Is that something that Indians can bank upon, those personal relationships kind of coming through in the sense of uh, underscoring India's importance in, in, in the framework of U.S. foreign policy itself? So two things here. I think one is to remember that it is actually quite normal. The last few years have in some ways been uh, exceptional, or if not exceptional, at least anomalous in many ways, including personnel. But it is quite normal for uh, you know, for the U.S. and administrations to have kind of repeats from previous kind of uh, uh, grandees from previous administrations. Just for one example, uh, um, uh, Donald Rumsfeld, former Secretary of Defense, Dick Cheney, former Vice President, first started out in the Ford administration, I think, uh, may, might have even been junior uh, in a Nixon administration. But then, you know, you do see these players coming back and back. And as they get senior, they eventually go to these kind of most senior, highest level roles. So it's quite normal for this to happen. It's not unusual. Um, I think the having a set of uh, uh, kind of two sets of uh, uh, having people who have served before, who India is familiar with, um, has pluses and minuses. I think the, the advantage is that you, you these are you have kind of known quantities, you have established relationships. Just to give you one example, External Affairs Minister Jay Shankar and uh, Secretary of State Desert nominee uh, Anthony Blinken are the ones during the Obama administration who started the Deputy Secretary of State Foreign Secretary level dialogue. Um, and so they know each other well. So I think familiarity uh, helps. Uh, I think it, it means they understand the strategic logic of the relationship with India. Having said that, there's also the question when you have kind of people coming in from previous administrations, and it's a question being asked here as well, which is, you know, you've been out of power for four years. Are you going to come in thinking that the world is as it was four years ago, uh, or are you going to update uh, and upgrade uh, your assumptions, your knowledge, uh, and adapt to the world as it exists today? And it's something Tony Blinken, in his prepared testimony that I mentioned earlier, has actually actively said, we will deal with the world as it is, not as it was. But that is something to be seen. And then, you know, on specific issues, whether it's China, whether it's Iran, there's always the question of, do you bring your priors or do you say, you know, the world has changed or this issue has changed and we need uh, additional. Um, uh, the one other thing I will say that is India specific is, you know, like all when you're familiar, you're also going to bring up difficult subjects. Uh, with uh, people you consider familiar in a way that perhaps uh, you know the, so just like, you know, a number of people in the Indian government will know the pros and cons of each one of these personnel. It's a similar case with the people on this side. So you do come in with certain perceptions. Uh, and if those are good, that's a good thing for the relationship. But if people have had negative experiences, that can also have uh, 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 an impact. Sure. And when the Biden team settles down and starts looking at taking stock really of US-India relations as they are today to confront today's reality, as you're saying. Uh, what do you think are the most salient things that you know they are going to be confronted with uh, over the course of the past four years of the Trump administration? You know, how much has changed under Trump 
what is going to be new to them when they come and look at this relationship afresh and new? I think one of the things that the Biden team will find is that unlike a lot of other relationship and particularly alliance and even partner relationships, the India relationship is one that doesn't need repair so much as it'll probably see need and, and witness some rebalancing. Um, and I say that because I think one thing that they will find is uh, that there has been quite a bit of continuity in many ways, but the one area that perhaps has has um, has been uh, you know kind of the the um, uh, priority area where the maximum cooperation has happened uh, ha- uh, happened, and as my colleague Joshua White, who's just written a paper on U.S.-India defense cooperation, has called it, that the load-bearing pillar of the relationship has been defense and security cooperation. Um, And it is, that has been where you've seen a lot of uh, uh, movement. And I think the Obama team, I mean, the Biden team will find that from the Obama administration time, the Trump administration, uh, due largely in part to their competitive view of China, uh, and India's mo- greater concern about China, that the, that defense and security side, including many of the things that they were asking India to do, uh, that has moved forward. So I think they'll find the defense and security relationship in a fairly adva- much more advanced place than they had left it, building on many of the things that they did. Um, I think the they will though find that uh, you know, they need to make some decisions. For example, on the bilateral issues like a trade deal, do you continue with the mini trade deal um, that the that had apparently been reached? Um, how do you deal with uh, uh, one thing that has also changed is kind of this emphasis in India on atmanirbharta or self reliant, and it is mirrored, for example, in the way Biden talks about what he needs to do, which is you know buy America and things like that. So. I think they're also going to find that this is uh, an India that is perhaps becoming, in some ways, more closed on uh, eco- international economics, but at the other same time, wanting to be part of global supply chains and talking about itself as a reliable economic partner. But I think the economic, now by economic, I say trade, investment, and immigration relationship will need some attention, which I have. I think um, it hasn't. Uh, it hasn't received. Um, I-, I think you know the. The other areas where it will find uh, some differences, um, and I think one area which for there are a few areas where, where you know, yes, India managed the Trump administration uh, so that there was a fair amount of steadiness in some ways, but I think there are two areas where the last few years, at least two or three areas, which were quite different. I think one is how volatile it was. This was the U.S. relationship for India has not been a high maintenance one. Uh, generally, it it was one in the last four years. Um, you know, every morning, like everybody else in the world, um, you know, Indian officials probably also had to check Donald Trump's Twitter account. Um, I think the second thing uh, was the staffing in the administration, the capacity issues that usually people in the U.S. Com- used to complain about India. That you know, the capacity issue in the bureaucracy. It was the case for Indian officials dealing with the U.S. government, which is that they constant changes in personnel. Uh, but also, you know, while acting assistant secretary ambassador Alice Wells did a great job in that position, there was no permanent uh, confirmed assistant secretary of state uh, for South and Central Asia this entire time during the last administration. 
Um, and I think, you know, those things actually matter in terms of uh, the relationship. But I think one other kind of uh, thing is that, uh, you know, where there was a difference between previous administration uh, is in terms of kind of uh, approach that had substantive consequences. And I mean this in the sense of, for example, while India is often thought of the U.S. as transactional, they saw what a really transactional America could be over the last uh, few years, um, you know, where uh, everything was being linked to transactions. So I think that was one one place. And I think the other place where Trump's approach had consequences for the Indian government was kind of walking away from a number of deals and treaties, including Paris climate change, the Iran nu- nuclear deal. Uh, and then finally, I think less of a government, but, but for sp- specifically the kind of Indian people, is Trump's approach on immigration, which had an impact on the people-to-people dimension. And I think that is important, uh, and students as well. Um, so I think they, those are the kind of things where I think the government will welcome change. But I think the biggest change, perhaps, that uh, we saw over the last few years that will continue to have reverberations, depending on what the Biden administration does, and I'll, uh, and, uh, you know, is, is kind of it accelerated, I think, the competition, the U.S. competition with China uh, with a major assist from Xi Jinping, if not sparked by Xi Jinping, in a way that I think we, it would have taken another decade under, uh, you know, kind of a normal Republican or a Hillary Clinton administration, for example. So I think the competition with China was built in. The only thing is I think it's accelerated in a way that paved the way for US, the U.S. and India to deepen defense and security cooperation, but also help them manage their differences on a range of issues, whether that's trade or Russia uh, or immigration for that matter. Sure. And sort of going beyond the bilateral issues and that they have had, I mean, uh, what about things like India's relations with China? They have been in a strange, in a very strange kind of, you know, Really. I mean, nothing has moved in the bilateral relationship in a long while now. Trump made his own sort of you know, ham-handed attempts, suggesting that he mediate uh, and, and then backing off, doing a range of things and so on. Do you think the Biden administration will bring in a slightly more purposive uh, policy towards India-Pakistan relations, especially in the context of what's happening in Afghanistan, which you mentioned right up front? I think, uh, you know, it really depends on what happens in Afghanistan. Um, I think you'll probably see a kind of a return to a uh, kind of more traditional posture that, you know, Republican and Democratic administrations have taken uh, to India-Pakistan relations, which is encouraging the two sides to talk, but also recognizing the limits uh, of U.S. influence in these in these matters. Um, I think so the two things to watch in terms of both uh, how U.S., or maybe three things to watch in terms of how U.S.-Pakistan relations develop and perhaps its approach then to U.S. Indi- uh, to India-Pakistan issues is, uh, you know, one is the situation in Afghanistan. Second, I would say, is how they see the developing China-Pakistan relationship in the context of um, in the context of uh, strategic competition with China, uh, and you know, do they then buy the uh, Pakistani line that look, you need to kind of maintain or, or expand your relationship with us so we don't move closer to China, or do they say, well, you've already moved closer, so that's not the reason we should be doing this. Um, and then I think finally, 
is, you know, it depends, is there another India-Pakistan crisis? Because, you know, if, um, if there is not, this is unlikely to kind of be something that rises to the level of great attention on their, on their part. So, you know, even, for example, Richard Holbrook did try to suggest mediation. You know, they were the first Afghan strategy that the Obama administration had, you know, talked about taking, uh, trying to convince India uh, to, to take a different approach to Pakistan. But I think, you know, that time has in some ways gone. And this is where, you know, the fact that you do have experienced people, um, they've, le- they've learned their lessons about kind of mediation at least. But I do think they will be concerned about a crisis spiraling over. And because of the Remember, they were in the, a number of this team were actually in office in 22nd, uh, 2016 when URI happened. And everybody remembers the Trump administration's reaction to the Balakot strikes. But, um, you know, the Obama administration also didn't criticize India uh, for its reaction uh, in 2016 and were kept in the loop. So, uh, but I, I, I think it will be different in the sense that they will be concerned about a potential escalatory, escalatory um, potential for any crisis that breaks out in the region. So I think that could bring it to attention, but um, otherwise I think they will take a more traditional approach. But if nothing, no other reason is I don't think they have the bandwidth to do much more unless they need to for the three reasons I mentioned. Fair enough. Uh, what about Russia? Uh, India has a long-standing relationship with Russia. It's kind of narrowed down over the years to become one which is effectively about, you know, different recognitions on India's part. But uh, I'm just wondering, you know, what will be the Biden administration's approach towards India, Russia, military ties, particularly? Uh, you know, there's this whole uh, story of the sanctions, the Katsa sanctions, which hangs over India's acquisition of S-400 from Russia. We've seen recently these sanctions being extended to Turkey, which is a NATO ally of the United States. So I'm just wondering, A, is India um, going to be treated differently? If so, how do you think the administration will go about actually carving out an exception like that? Um, you know, I do think the Russia issue is perhaps one of the stickiest ones. So when you ask me what are the big differences in the relationship, this is one I usually point to Russia as as one of the stickier relations. Not that it cannot be managed, just that it is a sticky issue because of both sides' view of their Russia, respective Russia relationships. I think there is understanding on the one hand here about why, um, or acknowledgement at the very least, even if not understanding suggests a certain sympathy, um, of why India maintains its relationship with Russia. Uh, I think the discomfort is when India continues to double down on that, particularly in the defense space. Having said that, that is, that is, if anything, the last few years is going to reinforce India's desire to diversify, keep them, maintain that diversified source of supply, whether it's military or others, because of the uncertainty about the U.S. So I think, you know, there is, there will be a recognition that this India-Russia relationship is not going anywhere. There is already, as you know, a built-in waiver provision um, for an an administration to be able to give a country like India, or for that matter, if they had chosen to Turkey, um, 
if they buy the for any kind of major defense purchases from Russia. The issue, I think, will come, this is going to be a political call, um, because there's enough subjectivity built in that this is going to be a choice. And so I think that choice of whether or not to give India a waiver will depend on uh, will depend on a political judgment at the highest levels about the utility of India, whether that's strategic, whether that's economic, whether that's in the multilateral realm, uh, whether that's for a number of Biden administration pro- uh, priorities like climate change. And I think they need to understand that sanction two two things one that's any kind of any uh, desire to impose sanctions or any actual imposing of sanctions will set the relationship back significantly i think sometimes people in the us don't understand what that would do to the broader relationship it won't just be kind of minor sanctions i think it's the philosophy of the relationship and the us being unreliable unri- or you know st- attaching strings etc second i think one of the things they need to do is decide on this sooner rather than later on the waiver, because I think leaving it dangling there is detrimental to the relationship uh, because it will pause India's decisions on certain things with the US because you don't know what's going to happen. So I think the Russia issue is going to be sticky. If you ask me about what the issues in 2021 were going to be, I think this is one decision point that will need to be made with, with much larger ramifications to the relationship. But I do think any expectations that India might have that a Biden administration will take a kind of, there'll be some sort of rapprochement with Russia, uh, there are very few signs of that. If anything, the relationship will probably harden, uh, given some recent incidents. Um, but I think you will see certain area, for example, arms control, where they'll restart dialogue, etc. But I think the broader Russia-US relationship is going to continue. And so I suspect the Indian complaint that, uh, that you know, the West is not being open to Russia and therefore Russia is moving closer to China will continue as well. Okay. And if, if that is indeed the reading, then I'm just wondering how you would place the US-China sort of dynamic in the context of India. You know, your work has shown at great length historically in, in, in sort of very, uh, you know, well-researched detail about how the how China has always been a very important background factor in the development of US-India relations. And this does seem like a very interesting moment when your sort of historical arguments are actually being played out in the contemporary policy context, where we see how China has quite important to the way that US and India look at each other. But I'm just still wondering whether we could think a little bit more about US-China relations themselves. You began by saying quite rightly that, you know, the officials, the nominated officials of the Biden administration have emphasized that the competitive uh, element of the relationship with China remains in place and that, but it also seems fair to say that the manner and the terms in which that competition is being, uh, will be played, will perhaps be different, considerably different perhaps from what the Trump administration did which was at once both erratic, but also had a certain kind of an edge, which perhaps uh, a Biden administration might not want to continue with, not least because of the broader considerations that you have said, right? I mean, if if climate change addressing, uh, you know, global issues is something that is on the top of Biden's foreign policy agenda, then perhaps, uh, you know, you need to make sure that you don't have a relationship, which is zero sum. 
so I'm just wondering, you know, how do you see the broader context of U.S.-China relations uh, playing out under Biden, even if the nuances are different? Where are they? And then we can perhaps talk a little bit about what this means for India. Um, you know, it's it is actually, I think, a crucial issue which will set you know, kind of set the basis for a lot of other relationships or kind of U.S. approach to kind of functional areas as well. I think, um, to be frank, I think there are too many, there have been too much written already about a Biden administration, you know, not even a Biden administration, uh, kind of Biden's China policy before the administration has even started. I say that to mean, let's wait and see. I don't think we know enough uh, about what about two things, what particular uh, kind of approach, what what kind of the nature and extent of competition within a strategic competition um, is going to mean. So, you know, like if Tony Blinken says we need to outcompete China, uh, competing is just, it's kind of a, an approach. It's not a goal. And so competing could mean something very different, as you said, uh, from what the Trump administration meant. Um, it it also means like, the you know, it's not just about, you know, how competitive is this relationship going to be? But the second thing, which I think a number of people in Asia in particular are watching is, you know, this is going to be an age of in that there is whatever you want to call it, there's going to be great power rivalry. But there are also all these issues that there is a sense you need to cooperate on. So how do you find this is true for the U.S., it's true for India, it's true for Europe to some extent, but it's true for Japan and Australia. How do you cooperate on issues where it's necessary with perhaps your greatest rival, if not adversary? And I think this is going to be a fundamental question, not just for the Biden administration, but as I mentioned, for a large swath of people. Where the Biden administration comes down on this is, I think, what the debate is about, which is, for example, do they, uh, because you know climate change is a priority and there will be a sense that you need China on board, do you then say, and this is something Kurt Campbell, who has been designated the kind of coordinator for Indo-Pacific at the National Security Council, this is something he said in an interview a few months ago, uh, uh, in which he was speaking uh, in a panel that included Bob Zelik, which is, do you actually, um, s- you know, allow China to say, well, if you want our cooperation on climate change, then you need to, you know, hold the throttle back on pressing us on the South China Sea or kind of, you know, what we're doing at the boundary with India or coercing Australia or, you know, doing something in Xinjiang uh, or Hong Kong or Tibet for that matter or Taiwan. Um, and if that is the bargain, China will probably seek that bargain. It's already sent out feelers that will say, look, let's put all the issues aside that we disagree on and focus on, you know, what they used to call new type of great power relations, the G2, so to speak. Um, or does an administration having been burnt on that front before, these are the same set of people who recognize that Xi Jinping stood with Barack Obama had made promises about South China Sea Island building and broke those promises. Have they learned their lesson that this is not going to, uh, that, you know, you can't, it, it, China is the China it is. It's not the China you would wish it was. Um, and say that this is going to be much more pragmatic. So I think 
I think the jury is up. I cannot sit here telling you today where this will go because I think it partly develop, you know, depends on events. It also depends on the approach China takes. And I think it will depend on there are a lot of big foreign policy personalities. And then there's the, including the president-elect himself, who have strong views in foreign policy, who will each come at this issue from the vantage point and the particular issues or regions they focus on. What is the end result that comes out of that process? I think these are the known unknowns. And uh, you know, I think we will get signs of it over the next few months. Fair enough. I, th- I think that's a perfectly reasonable sort of proposition. At this point of time, we don't know anything, perhaps, about policy in its specifics. Uh, we know a little about personnel, but as you're saying, you know, people's views and attitudes can evolve, change time. But given the sort of structural context that you have kind of identified quite rightly, that there is going to be uh, a dynamic of competition, but perhaps also an imperative for cooperation in certain domains. Given this reality of the U.S.-China relationship, uh, where do you think are, say, a couple of points where you think U.S. and India can come together and fruitfully collaborate uh, in managing this relationship, both in its competitive but also in its collaborative? So I think, you know, I think it is worth kind of thinking about like how a change in China approach by a Biden administration could actually be beneficial to India. And I would say maybe two things that I would say would be beneficial is one, much of kind of the trade war towards China had actually had, you know, managed to also target uh, because of the tariffs, et cetera, uh, allies and partners of the US like India, like Europe. And so I think, um, I, you know, the, the Biden has said that he's not going to automatically lift tariffs, but he is going to kind of see, kind of almost link them to, to Chinese behavior or the promises. And so I think that approach will probably kind of benefit uh, India. I think a second, uh, a second um, area uh, where you will see, I think India benefit, and this goes back to your kind of specific question, is an emphasis on, if not collective action, but then cons- at least consultations with allies and partners and doing kind of a to use a basketball metaphor, a full court press where you, you know, you just, it's not U.S. alone trying to deter China from bad behavior, trying to shape it, shape its actions, uh, but working together with Asian, um, you know, European allies and partners who can then help try to elicit changes from China in terms of its behavior. So I think that, and I think how this will might play out, the structures might change, the kind of dialogue systems, the mechanisms. But I think this is one area where you will see uh, the US and India perhaps work together. Now, this could play out in, in different ways. It could play out, for example, in thinking about connectivity and development assistant assistance differently. So one thing to watch is a fairly high profile and senior person who's been appointed as the head of USAID, the US Agency for International Development, Samantha Power. You know, how do they approach these issues that have become very salient over the last few years of kind of strategic development assistance in a way we saw it during the Cold War, which is, it's you know, yes, it's development assistance for its own sake, but also to some extent keeping in mind that this is taking place in the context of strategic competition with, um, uh, with uh, um, China. I think another aspect will be, which could be helpful 
is uh, the you know for and this has something for each each uh, each party, which is one of the fundamental parts of that strategic logic in the U.S. about the India being a geopolitical counterbalance, an economic alternative, and a um, democratic contrast to China, is that part of that was strengthening Indian capability. And for India, the, the kind of promise in return in terms of something the Biden administration is wants, which is to burden share. And I think this, the Indo-Pacific area is one area where you could see this play out very practically. Uh, and in a way that I think is much more strategic than the Trump administration might have portrayed. I think one final thing I will say, um, and I think this will play out, by the way, not just in the Indo-Pacific, but you will see cooperation or you could see cooperation in multilateral institutions and organizations, including the WHO, where India is chair for the next few months, the UN Security Council, where India is a non-permanent member for the next two years, and even in shaping the G20 agenda uh, where India, of course, will share in 2023, if I'm not mistaken. So I think this cooperation could, that is an aspect of, you know, working together in coalition, issue-based coalitions with like-minded partners on issues like critical technology, uh, on regional connectivity, on countering disinformation that could play. But I'll tell you one other thing where I think a change in Biden administration approach could help the U.S.-India relationship. One of the differences on China that the U.S. and India have had over the past few years is the Trump administration's emphasis on ideological differences. And this is something India has usually not, though I've heard um, uh, uh, you know, uh, people like former Foreign Secretary Ambassador Vijay Gokhale talk about why it's important that China is not a democracy. But it's generally not been something that India emphasizes, whereas the Trump administration was emphasizing kind of the ideological differences in a much more fundamental way, even some even suggesting that U.S. goal in China was regime change. I think that was a subject of difference, and I don't think you will hear that from the Biden administration. Great. So it looks like there is enough and more for India and the United States to do together. And I hope uh, we can get you back on the show at some point to talk a little bit more about how the realities of U.S.-India relations are actually playing out President Biden. Uh, but Tanvi, thanks so much for taking the time to join us today. I know this is an important time in Washington, D.C. So we wish you all uh, the very best with the new administration and we hope to have you back. Thank you, Srinath. Thank you for listening to this episode of Interpreting India. Stay safe and don't forget to wash your hands. For more information about the podcast and the production team, you can follow us on social media and visit our webpage. 